0: I think of the fascination behind immortality. I remember when I was a kid and I first understood the death concept, and I remember being terrified. Now we're adults and we become acclimated to the idea. It's just something that it's
1: like, it's, oh, it's around the corner. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to live life in the moment. And I was like maybe four, and I would say that very um, standard, like, child's prayer before going to sleep. And one of the lines is, if I should die before I wake. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I remember becoming like really aware of what that meant and like turning to my mom and being like, what am I saying? <laughs> Welcome
0: to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. If you had the chance to live forever, would you? Dorian Gray stayed forever young while his portrait aged in his place. Voldemort split his soul into pieces so he can never die, unless you killed all his horcruxes. Immortality and legacy building go hand in hand when it comes to preserving your existence, and while we may not have the means or magic to live forever, having a lasting impact on the world is something many aspire for. Fellow writer Leslie Ensign joins me to discuss the immortality dilemma. Is it worth living forever? And what happens when your legacy is out of your control?
1: Leslie. Hi, Vicki. Hey, can you hear me okay? I can.
0: Awesome. I am so excited to have you on here. Um, A little background for people who do not know Leslie, uh, but she was my editor for a couple books, two books actually and um you really challenged me in so many ways to think about what ifs for all of my storylines So i just wanted to say thank you for all that work
1: well my pleasure (laughs) you're such a great writer and also you're such a fast writer at least in my experience the time it would take you to turn around and have completely revisioned a scene was like it was awesome
0: oh i don't think
1: i've ever seen somebody do that in that type (laughs) of time frame
0: that was me
1: hyperfixating.
0: I'm learning how to use my hyperfixations for good. My current book is not as fast anymore. I'm, I'm su- eight months into it, and I've only written half of it, which is unusual for me, but maybe it's normal. Yeah, that still sounds like warp speed for me. Oh, <laughs> well, you're, you're working on a book right now. What are you working on?
1: I am. Um, I'm actually working on several books. Um, since we've last spoken, I've taken a job as a ghostwriter. So I'm writing some nonfiction books um, through a company called Scribe Media, and it's a really great job to have. I am so happy with it. Um, It's a lot of writing, and so I've kind of had to decide that I'm not going to look at my work in progress for a few months, really, and that's okay. I needed some Mm -hmm. space from it, but I am also working on my own novel, which is a loose interpretation of, which is kind of an ancient story but it's about a early thirties American woman who's traveling in France. I'm a hopeless Francophile and she um, meets a woman named Salome and they hit it off and they're kind of traveling together. And, and the American finds out some kind of unsavory things about Salome's family and kind of has to decide, do I want to betray my friend and write about this,
0: which could be like a
1: career making story. The dilemma um, of all writers, right? Yeah, she's an essayist, so I okay. tried to keep her away from fiction. I was like, let's not make this a carbon copy of me. Mm. But <laughs> yeah, so that's my, my work in progress, my biggest one. Okay. So when I reached out to you with a list of topics, you
0: gravitated towards um, immortality, legacy building, and the pursuit of immortality is a very popular concept in speculative fiction. Why do you think there's
1: so much fascination around it? Well... So a thing I didn't mention about the work in progress as well is that something that the protagonist, her name's Courtney, um, discovers about Salome's family is that her stepfather, the stepfather character, has pretty much co-opted her father's scientific studies and has built an immortality cult around it. Ooh, a cult. I mean, does anybody ever tire of cults? That was no, kind of it's thought great. Thought. But, yeah, it's like... <laughs> I'm trying to come up with comp titles and it's been really hard. I don't know if it's as hard for everybody as it is for me, but coming up with comp titles for your own work is miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like it's like Oscar Wilde meets Nixium. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that is very relevant right now. Re- relevant right now. So maybe you'll yeah. get some bites.
1: <laughs> maybe. As I was doing research for this, I came across this really old book so um, my boyfriend's grandmother used to own a bookstore and she has a bunch of books at her house and so she I was over there and she was like go through these books take what you want and I found this really old book it's published in 1955 it's based on some speeches that Ashley Montague did in 1951 where he talks about immortality and there's just something about the 1950s and like science fiction especially that they just have like such a they go hand in hand at least in my mind and i'm not a major science fiction reader but it's kind of like the tomorrowland exhibit at disney world yeah do you know what i'm talking about yes very optimistic view of the future exactly exactly really well put so i i read this little it's almost like a pamphlet about immortality but he was saying that death is the one reality in which most men cannot believe And there's this really funny quote from the then president of Columbia College, which then became Columbia University, who basically denounces science, saying, much as I love truth in the abstract, I love my sense of immortality still more. And if the final outcome of all the boasted discoveries of modern science is to disclose to men that they are more evanescent than the shadow of the swallow's wing upon the lake, If this, after all, is the best that science can give one, give me then, I pray, no more science. I will live on in my simple ignorance as my father did before me. And when I shall at length be sent to my final repose, let me lie down to a pleasant, even though they may be deceitful, dream. Interesting. That was such a great quote. What I took away from that quote is that, or at least for me, you know, death is the one thing that we can't evade. And so if you really accept that death is coming, it kind of strips creativity from life in a certain way. I mean, there's a completely other way to look at it. And we see this in literature too, where you live life to the fullest because it's finite. Mm -hmm. But in more of a speculative or science fiction realm, um, the creativity around trying to evade death would be, you know, great writing fodder.
0: When I think about, you know, obviously of all these philosophers and educated people that are talking about the, you know, immortality and death and then the optimism of the 1950s of what their future could look like, which is kind of funny compared to like how we view the future now. We have a very scared outlook on technology and robots rising and all that stuff. Uh, When I think of the fascination behind immortality, I remember when I was a kid and I first understood the death concept and I remember being terrified um now we're adults and we become acclimated to the idea it's just something that it's like it's oh it's around the corner I'm not going to worry about it I'm just going to live life in the moment at least that's why I think it's so fascinating and then you have writers who really think about the concept and and write about how we can break it break the rules of life I guess
1: right oh I remember I was just thinking about this yesterday and I was remembering and I was like maybe four and I would say that very um, standard, like, child's prayer before going to sleep. And one of the lines is, if I should die before I wake. Oh, yeah. And I remember becoming, like, really aware of what that meant and, like, turning to my mom and being like, what am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just basically it's dark. like, hey, God, it's cool if you kill me tonight. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah well like, and now like
0: that clause i am uh, i have a 10 year old now and when she, between the ages of like six and eight mm. is when she was coming to me going like what is death like it was dawning mm. on her and i was like oh i just pretend like i've come to terms with it you know <laughs> like let alone to comfort a child okay it's kind so... of thing
1: to, to actually be alive and and function in society you really just have to be okay with it, but yeah. to write very interesting fiction, not being okay with it is probably a pretty good starting place.
0: That's very true, and I think here in America too, we're very separated from from acts of death, or at least we have a system in place. So, um, unlike other cultures where you would have the bodies around for a bit during a mourning process, um, I think we have a, a very efficient process for if someone has passed moving them through, processing them, getting them ready for burial or whatever is going on, that maybe we're left with a lot of questions. And uh, so there's like a fascination with it. And these books and these literature and movies kind of
1: help us process. That's very true. And also uh, on this side of industrialization, most people have never taken an animal life. And there are so many people who lived on farms, even like my grandfather's age, who killed their own chickens and saw death. Like even, and and there's a bit of reverence in that too, like understanding like, oh, the meat I'm eating is the consequence of a life lost. And then maybe being, you know, habitually different around that. We do have such a separation from it.
0: I know that my mom, coming from Vietnam, who was there during the war, mm. had a very different, just like her entire outlook um, on on food preparation. I remember one time she bought a fish from a market, and it was alive, and it was in the back seat, and I could hear it flopping around. Oh my god! And she's, I'm like, what are you gonna do with a fish? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I'm just gonna throw it in the freezer. It'll fall asleep. Like just like very like nonchalant. And I'm like, okay. Mm. I'm like, you know, young at the time. And uh, I worked for a Chinese restaurant uh, when I was a teenager during high school and they were, they had, you know, live crabs and everything and they're just chopping them up like it's nothing. And, Mm. and it was very shocking to me because that wasn't part of my normal everyday experience. Whereas my mom, they had chickens, they killed chickens in their, in the, in their yard
1: when she was growing up. Right. So interesting. So your experience with that is a desensitization um, because of being, proximal to death versus what i was thinking of like some sort of reverence of like oh like i have to go kill a chicken to have meat so i'll oh, yeah. eat less meat
0: oh yeah yeah that's true too um i i always joke where i don't know if i'd be able to kill a cow if you know the apocalypse hits and we have to uh fend for ourselves and we live off the farm essentially oh i do no. uh, i would probably go vegetarian unless my child is hungry and then i'll kill
1: everything you know which is like the <laughs> mama now, bear. that is interesting um no i i joke very glibly that i have absolutely no interest in surviving the apocalypse like turn <laughs> me nice. into cat food i i have more interest in my cat surviving than me um but (laughs) (laughs) see yes that's the
0: mama bear instinct coming out it is well do what
1: you gotta do well and and I'm I've been a vegetarian for I think about 18 years now um I guess I should say pescatarian I I will eat fish from time to time but and that mostly comes out of just loving animals and wanting to be very gentle with animals Mm -hmm. but I was nannying Um, And I had never really been around a baby much before. I was walking with her strapped to me in the little um, baby carrier and this dog charged a fence that we were walking past. And it was like this lightning bolt went through my body that I knew I could kill that dog in one strike with my hand. I was just like, I could kill you. And I am such an animal lover. Like there's no part of me that even ever wants to go fishing. Like I take spiders outside. I was going to kill this dog to protect this baby, so it really did ignite something in me that was dormant before. Absolutely, it's it's a very fascinating
0: um, phenomenon. And when you talk about spiders, I also take spiders outside unless they're in my kids' rooms, and then it's personal.
1: I, for whatever reason, why'd you go in there? Like, How so dare you? Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then let's think of examples. Uh, Character examples that explore legacy building and immortality. Uh, My first exposure was Greek mythology. I used to watch Xena and Hercules growing up in the 90s, and Hercules being immortal set him above people, regular people like you and me. He wasn't quite a god, but there was a hierarchy of power associated with the immortals. Uh, What are some of your
1: examples? Well, I also uh, went to mythology and... One of my favorite books I've read in the past several years is um, Circe by Madeline Miller. I love that book. Yeah. And you know, Circe who is a, I think she calls herself the least of the lesser goddesses. Um, And she doesn't have any uh, godlike powers or divine powers, but she ends up uh, having a proclivity for witchcraft um, and turns Odysseus's men into pigs. But towards the end of the book, when she falls in love with a mortal telemachus oh. she falls in mm-hmm. love telemachus and she um she crafts a potion that turns her mortal so that she can die when he dies it's such a that whole book was so heartbreaking and touching oh.
0: and inspirational at the same time it was a highly recommended read
1: uh, absolutely for me too it was everything I love in a book which is I love character driven, but I also love a strong plot and the prose is gorgeous. So yes,
0: can't go wrong. My other example is uh, for those who have seen the Apple TV original TV show called Foundation. It, it It's based on the book series by Isaac Asimov. I think I said that right. I hope so. That's how I would have said it. <laughs> okay. Um, you have this emperor of this giant Think of the galactic empire. I'm probably I don't know if those are standard terms if I'm messing up my fandoms here, but uh, he's an empire. He's an emperor that oversees a bunch of planets and galaxies. And he's a little worried about what his reign is going to look like after he dies. So he creates clones that will in perpetuity run his empire as a cycle. You have a child, a, a grown man and a senior man collectively ruling as brother dawn, brother day and brother dusk. And as each one age out, a new brother Don is born and they each transition into the the new role. They rotate through the titles. I thought that was such a fascinating way of preserving legacy because you're being raised by the person you're going to replace. And then you're influencing. It's just like having, Mm. you know, regular Royal families, but it's all supposed to be you.
1: Interesting. I've actually read foundation and I don't remember that, but didn't you say that? They changed it. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I watched it
0: for Lee Pace, I will admit. And he was Brother Day. So it was a lot of it was fun for me to watch.
1: So I also wanted to think about legacy building more than immortality. And several years ago, I wrote a book review for a book page, which is a book uh, trade publication. And the book is called Trinity by Louisa Hall. And it is about. J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the father of the atomic bomb, who you can imagine has not the greatest legacy. Oh, yeah. But actually looking at the man, um, on the back of the book here, it says he was a brilliant scientist, a champion of liberal causes, and a complex and often contradictory character. And from a craft standpoint, I thought Louisa Hall did such a great job coming at telling the story of this man and drawing the picture of this man through um this oblique angle of different characters who have who, who cross paths with him it was do you, go I'm ahead sorry, go ahead
0: I was just gonna say do, do you think if how do you think he feels about where his legacy now and where things have ended
1: I don't think he feels great about that bomb <laughs> to be honest yeah with you. it's and it kind of you know this uh, this was also kind of you know pre-1950s it was World War II era but you know, on, right before the 1950s, which was that era we were just talking about as having this really positive view of the future. But he was aware of how many lives this was going to take. And famously, when he saw the, the test of the nuclear weapon in 1945, he said a piece of Hindu scripture ran through his mind. Now I am become death, the, the destroyer of worlds. Ooh. Yeah. And so it's interesting that he's also like bringing about this Hindu scripture um, because reincarnation is another way that immortality can be portrayed.
0: If you knew that something you invented was going to cause devastating harm or destruction, how, what
1: would you do? Uh, Good question. (laughs) I I mean, I don't know. Like at that point,
0: do you think that things are just rolling along? It's it's a snowball going down a hill, and even if you could try to stop it, it's done.
1: I think that's how he felt. And of course, like this is the age of like when this is going on, Hitler's been in power for a while. You know, and so I'm sure at the back of his mind, even thinking like, I can't believe how many lives are going to be lost because of my invention, like, there still is Desire to stop those atrocities at the same time. So, when he first invented this, what was the original intent? Was it to do what it ended up doing? Yes. Wow. As far as I know, and, and it's been years since I read this book, so excuse me if I'm yeah. No um, but it, you know, it was a it was a military operation. Like he was hired by the U.S. government to do this. This was his job. Gotcha. Okay. So that's another question. Like, at what point do you step away from a job because it's Going to you know have a bad consequences. He wasn't just like, yeah, all right. You hired me to make a bomb. I made a great bomb. He was like, oh god, I made. I'm the destroyer of worlds.
0: Part of me thinks of the actors uh actors exercises where they have to say one sentence and they have to change the tone to then yeah. Show that, do you think he said, "I am the destroyer of worlds," or do you think, "I am the destroyer"? Of
1: worlds? Oh yeah, like is he? <laughs> yeah, I. I I think he would probably put the emphasis on destroyer or worlds. Oh, okay. All right. I have a fictional
0: example. You have such profound, um, wonderful, real, you know, (laughs) nonfiction examples. And I'm like, here's this fictional um, example. Uh, Do you watch black mirror? Oh yes. Okay. Did you see the episode called black museum? It's where
1: a young woman shows up to... I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. And I think I bailed. I bailed on a lot of black mirrors because I was like, I'm
0: not going to feel good after this. No, it was not a feel good. Okay. There there was a little hint of hope at the end. Actually, it does have a hopeful uh, someone takes revenge at the end. Uh, The point of the story is that this girl shows up at this kind of roadside attraction. She's on a road trip somewhere, it's assumed, and she goes to check it out, and it turns out to be a museum. This person had taken people's consciousness and put them into holographic displays that you can then watch, but unfortunately, the displays are all bad things, like people going Mm. through... Uh, torture or, you know, someone I think gets like burned alive or something. It's been a while since I watched it, but it really stuck with me because then it's not just a hologram. You're not watching a hologram. It's someone's consciousness. Mm. And as you interact and keep watching, um, the consciousness starts to kind of take on a life of its own. You realize someone is actually suffering. It may not be the same person that was alive a couple hundred years ago, or even like less than a hundred years ago. Um, but their consciousness lives on. Mm. And at the end, uh, I'll give away the spoiler alert. The, my whole podcast is a spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> she takes revenge. It turns out that her own mother or one of her family members has been – has been, her consciousness got uploaded into her. Mm. So she was able to – she came back to this place that was a terrible source of trauma for her family, and she just takes out, like, the whole museum. So she gets revenge, and that's a good thing. But that's when I think about, like, leaving a legacy. This person was – taking advantage of it and exploiting people to create a museum and while you're thinking of like immortality in some sense what happens when you're not in control of yourself and someone
1: else is taking advantage of you it's scary right right there's so many ways that immortality can be portrayed like I didn't even think about the person stuck in an object or like a genie in a bottle for what does he say 10,000 years can yeah be such a crick in the neck or something like that in beloved Tony Morrison's beloved mm-hmm. um, and I, I was doing some reading about beloved because I definitely don't want to misspeak about this book but it's an example of beloved so first as a ghost because ghosts are a way that we can use immortality in fiction mm-hmm. but the the symbol of the resiliency of black people to continue on after centuries of being dehumanized so in this book, we have the immortality of an entire people versus the immortality of one character. And then Ooh, okay. the last example that my friend gave me the other night when I was just kind of asking, like, what do you think about when you think of immortality in fiction? And uh, she gave me the example of Tuck Everlasting, which is such a cool example. It's, it's a YA book, it's a classic, but we have this young girl, she's 16, Winnie, and she falls in love with a 17-year-old Jesse who is immortal because he has, um, he has um, drank from a stream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Yeah. And the stream makes you immortal. Um, and I'll, I think that the ending of that book is just so, it was so sweet when I read it. I remember like, reading it as a maybe sixth or seventh grader. But they get separated. He gives her a bottle of the water and says drink it when you're 17 I'll come back for you and we'll be 17 forever and he comes back to the town but not for 70 years and then he sees her tombstone and realizes that she chose not to drink it
0: Ooh, okay I've not read this book and now you've broke my heart <laughs>
1: it's a movie too with alexis bladel <laughs> like I, oh I know. I've seen, i remember girl. seeing the trailers when it came out oh wow yeah but it, i love that one because it gives her the agency to decide like do i want to be immortal or not and he didn't pressure reason, her yeah he gave her the choice wow yeah because anything
0: could have happened between then and now and maybe she met someone else and realized who knows she wants
1: to have children and grow up and get old? I mean who knows what happened to her right or she wants to have children and and not outlive them Ah uh, yeah,
0: okay you mentioned ghosts i want I want to hear about yeah. that
1: oh well, the other ghosts um that I just jotted down um the way that they can function is like a very real ghost, like Hamlet's father okay. who is there like driving the plot forward because he's asking for vengeance and then you have ghosts like uh, a christmas carol who are also driving the plot forward but yep, like yep. um ghosts seem to care
0: very much about the the matters of the of the living
1: don't they helping them they do mm-hmm. helping them or um like in uh daphne du maurier's rebecca we have a ghost who is man-made she is haunting the house but only because all the people around her won't let her go
0: so the living won't let her go so she continues to haunt
1: right and it's and not she's that haunting. she's over no no yeah. she is not uh, a legitimate haunting she's a she's a haunting um, of obsession which isn't really immortality but it is uh, it leaves a legacy kind of it well definitely rebecca does deal with legacy interesting
0: it's it's kind of fun to hear i i'm playing with ghosts right now my current Work in progress. Uh, the my angle that I'm trying to explore is mental health of ghosts. Why are you still hanging around? Let's process this. It's a very government bureaucratic angle. <laughs>
1: I think I, that's I, genius. Mental health of ghosts.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I, I realized that my my niche with my books is that I can write from the perspective of a government employee. Yeah, and and just play with it. <laughs> So, yeah, my first book, it was about Area 51, you know, government agents, and now I'm dealing with uh, the public health, uh, mental health, provide you know, services uh, on behalf of the state, all, all that stuff. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, but anyway, I'm sorry, continue with your, with your ghost analysis.
1: Oh, no, that, that's really good. Um, just separating out, like, what kinds of ghosts can there be? And how are we going to use them to drive the plot forward? And I like your um, your observation that in a lot of these things the ghosts are very invested in helping the living, you know, mm-hmm. which seems pretty narcissistic on the, the part of the living writers. And I like yes. that your uh, work in progress is giving those ghosts the spotlight, but yeah. not in a scary way.
0: Yeah, inventive. I, it's you know it's very true. You're right because it is a very like the humans are living the center of the story. Well, what if a ghost is like, look. I care about me right now, you
1: know, like, right. I'm dead. I've got stuff to figure out. Right. I'm dead, I'm dead. but obviously I'm still sentient. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I want to go find a ghost boyfriend or girlfriend and live my little <laughs> ghost family. You know what I mean? Like, uh... Okay, and you mentioned reincarnation. I love the idea of, re- I used to, I excuse me, I took a Greek mythology class in college, and I didn't realize just how much everything centers around the reincarnation idea. Even the sun rising and setting and then re-rising in the morning is mm. an idea of reincarnation. Yeah,
1: literally pulled by Apollo. Really, like, the examples I thought of of reincarnation, because I googled reincarnation of fiction, and I hadn't read any of the books. So, but... For a summer like a few years ago, I got really into Bollywood movies, oh, and I love there Bollywood. were there's that reincarnation in many Bollywood movies is just a completely like understood um, theme. It's just yes. Have you yes. seen
0: Om Shanti Om? That's then? what
1: I was thinking about. I, I love Om Shanti Om. Om. Yes, <laughs> I sing it all the time. Yes, so good. it's <laughs> like, what are you singing? <laughs>
0: So Om Shanti Om is about a junior artist or an extra movie extra who wants to make it big and he falls in love with a main character, like a movie star, a beautiful movie star. And do you want to do want to carry on No, with you're going to do such a better job than me. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, I, okay, when I first watched this, I didn't know what I was getting into. My friend invited me over. She said, we're going to watch this film. I'm like, okay. And I go over and I'm like, cool. You got this junior artist who wants to meet up with this girl, and then he finds out the devastating truth is she's actually married to a big shot producer, but the big shot producer doesn't want anyone to know, because back in the day, if you're a a big star movie uh, actress, no one wants to know that you're married. They, apparently you shrivel up and might as well not exist, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so when she ends up getting pregnant, she tells her producer husband, he ends up burning her alive in this movie set, and our main character tries to save her and he ends up dying too. So the midpoint, they all die. And I remember being like, what am I watching? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then the the tide changes and he reincarnates and he actually gets to fulfill his dream because he happens to be married. He happens to be born to a famous actor. So then by nepotism, he is now also a famous actor and you get to see him carry out all these fantasies. That were expressed in the first half of the movie until he realizes that the ghost of his love the woman that he loved is still at the movie set did i do a good job yeah
1: did you just do that off the top of your head i did i love that movie oh my god that was amazing (laughs) it's been a long time since i saw it but i do remember that midpoint of being like what how do you kill all the main characters an hour and a half in Mm-hmm. And hearing yep. you describe that, like I might be realizing that my work in progress is more inspired by Om Shanti Om than Ooh. I realize.
0: <laughs> well, it's a good, it's such good. I mean, it's so good. Uh, anyway, what are we going to say about reincarnation in general?
1: Um, I, I think that you summed up just about everything. It's just a way that it can be, that immortality can be um, used as a, a craft element, you know, um, to drive the plot forward. Or in reincarnation, letting characters continue their work or their mission over the span of multiple lifetimes. Do you think
0: reincarnation and ghost, the belief in either can coexist? If you read like what prevented you from reincarnating, this is a very hypothetical question.
1: R- what so prevented re- me from reincarnating? Like if a character
0: reincarnates and another character ghosts, what determined the path of either of them? Why did our junior artist become a reincarnated figure and why did one character turn into a ghost? What was the difference? Would you say? Interesting.
1: Um, I really should know if there are ghosts in Hinduism, but I don't.
0: I always wonder like when, from a writer's perspective, what, what would cause you to choose which way I guess you, um, reincarnation, the main characters, it's his opportunity to live his second life, but what kept it from her being able um, to live her second. Chance. Interesting.
1: So they do have ghosts in Hinduism. Oh, they do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I literally just did a Google search, so not going to speak as an expert on that in <laughs> any way. Um, that is interesting. I think because they both have the the idea of an uncompleted mission, right? Like mm-hmm. reincarnation, you're moving towards. You're, you're uh, working through your karma, wor- working towards nirvana, correct? And then a ghost also is like, well, I didn't get everything done on Earth that time, so I'm going to stick around until I either A, decide that I am dead and go mm. into the light, which is how a lot of episodes of things end, and then um, or complete their mission.
0: It certainly seems like the, the person that reincarnated has a much more proactive role and a higher chance of succeeding versus the character who's stuck as a ghost totally totally interesting so i I guess from a writer's perspective if
1: it depends on which character has agency and right yeah it seems it also seems like a ghost um a ghost seems more angry Mm. yeah you know like unresolved whereas um in, in reincarnation you would have a fresh chance i i agree
0: with that was there anything else that you wanted to talk to as far as examples in legacy building? No, I also wrote zombies, but I don't really think I have anything to say about zombies. <laughs> well, I mean, when it comes to zombies, could you imagine if you became a zombie and then you're nothing like what you were?
1: Well, okay. So that's were... also, that is kind of interesting because a lot of times when we're talking about immortality. So according to this book, I talked about at the very beginning, of this speech, um, you have physical immortality and then you have spiritual immortality so a zombie is experiencing physical immortality and not spiritual immortality because they are a shell of their former selves and then a like a ghost or reincarnated person is experiencing spiritual immortality
0: So, so hypothetically if your zombie body shell is just zombieing around, you could become a ghost and like just watch yourself from a distant <laughs> perspective. You're like, well, shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or you're reincarnated and you become your future victim. <laughs> you know? So here's an interesting um, fiction. We could do three people die. One becomes, or I guess we can't say die, but three characters, one becomes a zombie, one becomes a ghost, and one gets reincarnated. And they're all interacting. And they are, um, I'm sure there are pros and cons to each. Although I would definitely say I don't want to be the zombie. Yeah. I wouldn't either. That seems terrible. <laughs> that really does seem terrible.
0: Like who would, who would win? Or like how would um, their interaction? What if they were result? trying to
1: achieve a common goal? Ooh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So you have a zombie, a ghost, and a reincarnated person. I'm sorry. Was that the third yeah. one? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, the reincarnated person, the zombie, are going to be a problem. Um, So you have to, like, control the zombie. Uh, What would their goal
1: be? I don't know. This was a bad thought experiment. No, it's funny.
0: (laughs) I think it's really funny because, like, they're going to have constant issues. Now, the ghost, I'm hoping, will become, like, a a mature ghost. But then, depending on the laws of ghosts, at what point do they stop being ghosts if they've reached, you know, self-awareness? Or, you know, so will they... So, well, that poor reincarnated person is just going to be traumatized.
1: Yeah, that poor reincarnated person. Um, I think the ghosts in Harry Potter are pretty self-aware. They're funny. Oh, that's true. You know, that, that's a good example of um, ghosts as just, like, vibrant side characters.
0: That's true. Yes, I do love the ghosts in Harry Potter. Uh, I was going to bring up the celebrity public domain thing. Right. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before oh, I do that?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, No. And I I forgot you were going to bring that up because wasn't there a whole thing with James Dean's hologram being cast in a film and people were like uh, I don't think that's very ethical Yes
0: I've seen that and I have seen Marilyn Monroe come up as a problem So okay uh, okay uh, let me back up real quick and explain so a person's identity we have a right of publicity which means we can control the commercial value of our own name, likeness, voice, and signature, or any other personal identifying traits that are unique to you. The right of publicity was first identified in a a 1953 case, which was Halen Laboratories versus Tops Chewing Gum Incorporated, where the court pointed out that the right of publicity was not based on protecting a person's privacy, but on preventing the unauthorized use of a person's name or likeness. So a good example, a modern example of this is Bette Mittler sued when a car company used a, a sound-alike singer to sell their cars. Hmm. And she had the grounds to sue. But then you have Bob Ross is a really good example. Bob Ross's family don't benefit from any of the products that are being sold, uh, sold um, wow. on, on behalf of his image. Uh, hmm. there's a, oh, you, you know?
1: Oh, wow. That makes me think of Henrietta Lacks. Um, it's the Henrietta Lacks was the, the woman in the, in the fifties who died of, um, cervical cancer
0: mm-hmm.
1: and unbeknownst to her, she had a sample taken from her tumor at Johns Hopkins. And, um, that's, right. okay. that's where we get the, the HeLa cell line mm-hmm. that has now gone to space and, you know, been experimented on in so many ways. It's made so many, um, individuals extremely rich And then her family is is still living in poverty. Ooh, yes. And so it opened up this huge case of, you know, do we own our body parts? And do we own our our biological, um, the legality around um, ownership of your own tissue samples? Isn't that fascinating that we're at that point where you have to think about legal language like that to preserve yourself? Well, right. Well, this is the reason why. Because she passed away in 1951 yeah and her cells so they had they had tried to make an immortal chicken heart um it was a french scientist um Alexis Carrel was his name, and um he was like a eugenicist like not not a great guy um but they had this immortal chicken heart it it actually was debunked, and then this is so after that um there was like this race to create an immortal cell line that a a cell line that would replicate forever and so the the cells these hela cells like anybody who studies science did you study science
0: very if i studied it i forgot it
1: (laughs) (laughs) if i studied it in school i forgot it but if i read about it later which there's this book by uh, rebecca scoot is her name by Yeah, Rebecca Skloot, S-K-L-O-O-T. It came out in um, 2010 called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And it's nonfiction. It's so good, but it reads like fiction. I mean, you are so invested in this story. Now that we've unpacked a lot of different
0: ways that someone can has shown to be legacy builders or immortal, mm-hmm. what do
1: you think will happen to your personal legacy after you die? Well, I... I'm an only child. I barely have any cousins. Um, And I don't know, like if if I'm not a published author by the time I die, I think I will just slide into obscurity (laughs) because I also, I don't plan on having any any children. So I might have no blood relatives. Okay. I, I don't know. I have a kind of bleak answer on that, but I, you know, maybe it's kind of cliche to say, hopefully I'll have written something that will be out there and I'll have someone remember me because my words will have meant something. I think about the years of documentation that
0: exist on web on the web so whether it's that random Flickr account Mm. I might have had or uh, you know Facebook or Instagram I just think about how as long as the internet still exists I mean unplug the the networks and everything goes down and (laughs) we're gone gone. we're gone Um, but when I think about what we just talked about recently, what was it? The right of publicity. I wonder if we'll run into similar situations with uh, social media accounts and how, for example, there are so many scammers out there that will buy accounts using your photo or
1: whatever Mm -hmm. to inflate their followership. And so there you are, it's like a clone of your internet self. Right. Or continue to use your likeness to collect some sort of, I mean, not, like, my generation doesn't have a pension, but like to collect some sort of benefit in your name, people will. Yeah. Identity theft in that way. And so maybe
0: part of me wonders if like we'll get to a point in the future where it gets, it spins so far out of control because you got the Wild Wild West component of the internet that eventually you just got to unplug the whole thing. Um, I, I think about that way. a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, would we just be better off? Because on, on one hand, uh, we learn so much. Like, I'm on JSTOR all the time for school and it's just right there I can't imagine having to go to a library and like use the Dewey Decimal System to find a source that's probably like the source I brought today that's like 70 years old
0: yeah yeah or like how we're able to just look things up as we're talking on the fly exactly
1: okay so then
0: let's think of a let's have a fun thought exercise if you now everything's on the table sci-fi
1: fantasy horror if you could come up with a unique way to stay immortal what would it be and so Louise, the linguist, and if I ever get the chance to like get another master's degree, I would definitely want to do it in linguistics. It's just super fascinating to me. And it, it comes and in, ties into this pure Wharf hypothesis, which has always really fascinated me, though it's been debunked in, in certain areas. But I do think there's something to it that by learning this heptopod language that's circular, she's able to experience in, experience time in a nonlinear way. So she's able to literally be in scene, in scene in her life with um, her deceased daughter. And so in that way, she is experiencing some sort of immortality, but it's not physical.
0: Exist all at all times, all at once. Exactly. Interesting. What about you? What would you pick? So uh, I thought of two different things. One was I felt is very done. And then I got creative. So, okay, let me tell you the first one. I feel like the most realistic accessible means of immortality, like I'm thinking mass production would be injections or some kind of eternity drug mm. would introduce the clock, right? So what happens when you run out, you have desperate people. And then I could picture corporations maximizing costs for whoever, like uh, profits, I'm sorry, maximizing their profits for whoever's selling these injections. So I thought, I thought of that first as what, what is most realistic. Didn't think it was the most creative or fun. Then I found an article because I was like, all right, who's li- what's lived the longest? I found an article that measured the longest living plants and animals known. So the oldest human was 122. Mm-hmm. The box turtle can live to 138. Red oaks live over 300 years. The oldest known plant in the whole world is a creosote ring that's lived over 11,000 years. Whoa. So it's a, it's a clonal colony, so it's not one single bush, but it's a ring of creosote, and they call it king clone, and they were able to age it by carbon dating the wood samples. So right there, right there is a secret to immortality. Um, I'm pretty sure the creosote bush lives on the fountain of youth. Um, the the <laughs> New York Times article talked about a botanist who's working to preserve the bush so now i'm like we should check how old he really is because you know i feel like (laughs) anyone that's close to this bush has discovered the the means to living forever because i was shocked that is such a long like a long life and it's still going strong and i saw pictures of it i didn't quite look up where it's at i felt worried about looking up where it's at like i'm like i don't want to hurt the bush or tell people to go find it um but it looks you would have no idea. It's just bushes in the middle of the desert, Interesting. and yet it's over eleven thousand years. So my thought is, I would harvest said bush, turn their leaves or whatever into tea. I don't know if creosote's naturally like poisonous. I have no idea, but I would figure out how to use that bush to then almost like um,
1: Rapunzel, where Mother Gothel has it to would, sing to. to yeah, I would. Do yeah, that. It, it would just some some compound in the bush would have to like make your telomeres really strong, because that's the physiological element like within at the ends of your chromosomes that when your telomeres deteriorate your chromosomes deteriorate and that the, t- the length of your telomeres is what basically um, determines how long you'll live that's exactly what I meant you're way smarter than me <laughs> uh, no I, this is this is literally the research I've done for my own novel and I'm oh. also really realizing I misunderstood that question I thought you were like if you could stay immortal how would you do it and I was like I want to be like Louise okay yeah but Which, that wasn't that, very- that's
0: what I got that wasn't very creative. Oh, okay. Oh no, no, I liked it because some people may not have seen it, and maybe they'll okay. go watch it now.
1: Well, the way I came up to stay came up with to stay immortal in my work in progress is that they have this cult, and um, it's astral projectors, and so they it's like a scientist or an artist or somebody who's you know famous and has a following, and they're going to come to the end of their physical life, but they feel like they could keep doing more. Um, work in subsequent life spans and so they get a volunteer enter the cult who wants to house their spirit or their soul and so at the moment of death they um astrally project and inhabit the next body
0: wow what happens to the the body that they're that's hosting them now does that person's original spirit go somewhere else or are they trapped
1: well that's what we're finding out in the novel Ooh, it's a uh, it's a mystery. For the person that's on the inside, it's not um a very pleasant experience. It's very trippy.
0: There's not enough room in here for the both of us. Someone's gotta go.
1: Exactly. So it's like I mean, almost in like um, you know that, that movie, um, Get Out. The mm-hmm. Jordan Peel. Yes. Um, when the mother the is like the mother character, Catherine Keener, I can't remember her character in the in the movie, but she's got that spoon and she's hypnotizing um daniel kalua and then he like falls backwards down through his body
0: so like that like that kind of out of of body
1: experience yeah it's it's actually like a very deep in body experience oh yeah you're right (laughs) it's a trippy in body experience okay
0: okay so then reflecting on everything we've discussed thus far what do you think is the most meaningful form of legacy building we've seen characters use Uh, immortality to ensure their legacy we've seen people's consciousness and and legacy get taken advantage of us simply because they continue to exist so what do you think is the most meaningful form of legacy building
1: i kind of took this question as being very literal i think the most important um sorry the most meaningful form of legacy building is something that we do all the time which is teaching Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i really really hate the phrase those who can't do teach because what are we living if not a culmination of literally every person that's ever lived Mm -hmm. and what they learned passed on like I think about this a lot because I teach um, piano lessons to kids and part of me wants to spend more time on my own piano practice and and I don't play as much as I used to and I could like if I spent several hours on it a day I could learn all these Chopin songs and like but what What for? I'm never going to fill out a concert venue. I'm never going to enjoy playing it for people the way that I would enjoy teaching these children how to play. And I think it's fulfilling um, a very human part of me that, that wants to have a legacy. Because they might not remember me when they're adults. I don't remember my first piano teacher, but look what she did for me. I'm able to make part of my career uh, into teaching this, this skill to other people.
0: Yeah, I think teaching is a great form of legacy building. Uh, what you mentioned made me think of, like, for instance, I have great, great grandparents. I don't know who they are or what they do or what they did. Mm-hmm. And unlike, you know, the internet today, which documents so many things, we don't have those things to pull back on. So as when you die and people forget you and then or the people that did remember you die and the forgetfulness carries on down. I thought about how leg- leaving a legacy is, is about the ripple effects of what you can do in your actions. So teaching as mm-hmm. you're saying is one of them i think about how if you've if you recognize something wrong systemically participating in ways to dismantle oppression or you know like making things easier more accessible uh, one one example i can give is when i first entered the workforce i found out to be incredibly unfriendly to families mm. And the natural competitive environment that comes out of it is really hard when you're pregnant and you can't remember how to speak because you have pregnancy brain mm-hmm. and you're tired, you can't walk as fast, and you're just, it feels like you are held back in a, in a highly competitive environment. And that's why we have all these laws to ensure that people are protected. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always room for progress. And when the pandemic came and people had to go home, that was when I had to be a mother, a full time worker, and a teacher at the same time. And to me, it felt like unless the person in charge could not relate to these hardships, nothing got done about it. And totally. Yeah. Uh, So my goal during that entire time is to participate as much as I could. I I can only, my reach is only as far as the organization I'm in, but to make sure that voice was heard. And now we're looking at improved work uh, conditions that ultimately become much more family friendly. And so for me, I'm like, I don't need, I don't need a name on a building. Some people really do. They want their names on things and that's why they do things. Uh, But for me, it's like, it's less about that because I don't like that attention I just want to know that things are easier. Now I benefit from this being easier and I know other people will too.
1: Yeah. That's really beautiful. And it, yeah, that's, that's, we are creating the experiences for generations that come after us. There's a, um, a writer and educator, Layla Fsad. Um, she, she does some anti-racism teachings, but she has a podcast called, um, Good ancestor podcast, and her thing is being a good ancestor, and I love that concept of just what kind of legacy am I building for people I will never meet and who will never know I existed? Interesting. Okay, that makes me think about
0: my own family and a lot of emphasis on respecting your elders, honoring your ancestors, the mm-hmm. family um, family expectations, and how um, as a result, many times, people that you've never met are in positions of being revered and you don't see the human side of those things. You don't see the flaws because they've, they've transcended. Oh yeah. And it's nice to be able to think what can you do as an, as, as a, as an, a future ancestor yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, to kind of help guide and lead rather than being used as something that people have to kind of look up to and aspire to of, of perfection maybe or pressure. Right.
1: Well, that also makes me think that, If we're considering ourselves from an ancestral perspective, that maybe we could give ourselves the type of uh, soft focus grace that we do give the deceased, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, as soon as someone goes, we we focus on the good about them as you do. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's license to do that for ourselves if we're thinking of ourselves as future ancestors. That's a really good point. (laughs) Relieve yourself
0: of your own pressures right now in this moment. Yes. Okay. Is there anything else you want to cover before we move on to, I have a game, either a game or rapid fire questions that
1: I did not tell you about ahead of time. Oh, I'm so bad at rapid fire. That's like my, uh, my biggest fear is someone coming up to me on the street and being like, name a male celebrity and me being like (laughs) Julia Roberts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mine are hopefully a little. Okay. So I either created a fun fact, like, trivia like speculative fiction trivia game or rapid fire questions but they're not meant to startle or scare they're meant to just get to know you better
1: oh well let's do that one i'm not extremely well versed in speculative fiction okay all right so this one's going to start easy what is your favorite day of the week and why oh you're asking someone who is a full-time freelancer so i can't tell you my last day off but i'm gonna say tuesday
0: okay is it (laughs) because it's not monday um, it's like a
1: softer start to the week? No, it's um, it's just the things that I usually have on my schedule on Tuesdays. And I'm not going to say that I have favorite piano students, but the lineup on Tuesday is awesome. Okay. All right. <laughs> Who is your favorite Disney character? See, these are softballs,
0: right? Are you... um,
1: can I say which uh, character I like, had a big crush on? Oh, uh, do it. Yeah. Simba. <laughs> that's awesome you know what i I, like totally bonded with someone the other day because we were like you remember when simba was crossing that log and he like was for a second like kind of an adolescent and we were kids we were like oh he's so cool (laughs)
0: um
1: but like if i have to pick disney princess and to be fair i have not seen many of the new movies like um i watched Encanto recently and i really liked that Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like Louisa movie. the strong one I think she was my favorite one there but of all time I mean I just gotta say Belle she's a French-speaking brunette who has her nose in a book yes i just you know? super fitting <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay what mythical creature
0: would you believe was real if you had to like suspend reality and go yeah that could happen
1: oh well isn't the unicorn the national animal of Scotland that's real oh, then. right? There, therefore, it is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. There
0: you go. Um, what is your Hogwarts house?
1: Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw.
0: I'm a Ravenclaw. I think I'm a Ravenclaw, I, too. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I have friends
1: who are Hufflepuff, had to find as Hufflepuff. I'm like, okay, I feel like we're different. <laughs> I love I, a Hufflepuff. They totally, great. like, yeah, she didn't do them right in the books. But when you know a real Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff mm-hmm. who's so community-focused and, like, yes. generous, yeah. Yes, agreed. What about, okay, when you, know, when you meet a Gryffindor? Um, so many of my piano students claim to be Gryffindors, uh-huh. and I'm not so sure. Okay. I don't know. The line between Gryffindor and Slytherin is quite thin sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's all about, like, whether or not you think your loyalties are for good or bad. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, would you rather, this is a would you one or the other. Would you rather speak every human language out there or would you rather speak with animals?
1: Oh my God. When you said the first one of the language, I was like, oh, that, duh, there's literally nothing she could say that would be better. And then you said animals. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know what? I can learn languages. I'm going to take the animal one.
0: You know, I agree because you've just opened up the world to like now you can learn about the culture in animals. Yeah, and and maybe we can learn from them. Yeah, and you're the only one. Bees, and then you should charge for your services, and then you'd be rich, (laughs) right? There you go. (laughs) Okay, last one. If you could travel back in time, what time period would you go to?
1: Oh, that's a really good one. I don't really fantasize about history all that much. Like, I feel like as far as like the landscape for where I want to be it's like getting better all the time
0: yeah yeah when Um, people say that like the glory days of the olden days I'm like
1: who for who (laughs) uh, yeah like I mean I would have been okay let me that's a really good question I'm so bad at these right off the top of my head but um I think I think I would like to just maybe go back and and have some conversations with my own grandparents oh but you know at being able to ask them questions as an adult so the time period I'm gonna say I don't know 1999
0: <laughs> okay and you know it's funny I was also thinking about going back to the 90s and yeah. I don't know if that's because it's my own nostalgia or it's not like I've lived it so I know um I'll survive it <laughs> I don't know
1: yeah I mean sometimes I think I would like to just be able to like drop into like southern Canada and like the Lewis and Clark era just to like experience the night sky for like a few hours but I don't really want to live at that time yeah yeah
0: it seems like it'll be kind of rough and women don't have rights yeah doesn't sound (laughs) good no we'll be witches at some point and (laughs) get burned at the stake it'd be great yeah (laughs) all right
1: so thank you so much for joining me is there anything else you wanted to add no I'm just I, what I wrote down for, you know, if there's anything you want to promote, I, I don't have anything to promote, but if anybody has listened this long, I just want to say, if you are a writer and you don't have a writing community, I just want to encourage you to make one. And I started a writing club eight years ago just by getting a few friends together. And we still meet up every month and we finish novels and musicals and books of poetry and like just having that community around me for the accountability and to celebrate when someone gets published we have a group thread and we just text each other and it's just this really great thing and um just shout out to my writing club the paper state writing club in nashville
0: speculative sandbox is a volunteer run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like yourselves join the conversation by following us on twitter and instagram interested in being in a future episode
1: Email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.